0: Well, welcome to Podcast Tips with Rob Greenley. And I appreciate you joining me and being here today. I've got a very special episode for you today and a very special guest and I will bring him up on stage in a minute here. But I want to thank you this episode 5 of the um, of the Podcast Tips podcast with Rob Greenley and I'm Rob Greenley. I'm I'm the host of the show that's uh, kind of leading the discussion about podcasting. And so but I wanted to mention to everyone here right out of the gate is that um I'm going to be uh, trying this new platform. It's called um it, it's called Braid It and it basically enables you, the audience of the show, to submit a short little video comment. And I'm gonna gamble that you guys are gonna be really good about your your questions and um and play those toward the end of the show. So this is the this is the barcode, and so if you have your mobile phone uh, and you're watching this on a computer screen or something like that, why don't you snap a a shot of that with your with your phone camera, and that'll pop up an app, and you could post a comment to me, and I will uh, I will attempt to play as many of these these videos as I can um, to to try and answer your question with our terrific guests that we have coming up. So um, I will, I will periodically pull this up on the screen so people can uh, try and grab a snapshot snapshot of it. Uh, but let me put it back um, down. So if you got a chance to grab a snapshot of this and, and we're also going to be doing a StreamYard merch giveaway um, on, on the show today as well. So definitely get in your, uh, your merch Requests in the comment field by doing um, um, hashtag the yard, and I am now gathering um, those those hashtags. So at the end of the show, you will be able to qualify for winning a puddles duck and a streamyard mug. So, and and the streamyard team will um, mail that out to you as a terrific christmas present so um so anyway let's uh move on and uh bring on our our terrific guest so we have um,
1: uh, did you forget rob that's okay if you forgot what did i forget (laughs) you paused just a little too long after you said my guest so i was what i thought you maybe forgot who you brought on
0: no no i was I was waiting to actually bring you on. Oh, I see. Burton. I
1: accept that excuse. That's fine. <laughs> that's a that's a believable excuse. Well, uh, you know, also I, forgetting my name is also a very believable excuse too. Well,
0: no, sure. believe me, you don't. You do not have a a forgettable name. So ah, true, I, I am suppose. I am very fortunate to have on the show today a very experienced podcaster and broadcaster for many years, Mr. Jordan Harbinger, who mm-hmm. has been doing podcasting for many, many years. I've known Jordan going back to my, my days of uh, working at podcast one down in Los Angeles. And, and so our, our journeys have kind of moved in parallel to some degree and kept in touch over, over many years. And I know that uh, Jordan's worked really hard to build a a terrific show, the Jordan Harbinger show. Um, So if you wanted to go check out his show, I was going to pull up a a screen that actually shows his show online, so you can go check it out after the show. It's a terrific uh, listen. He's been tapping into some very important topics as of late on his show um, that are very, very much in the news these days. And what's terrific about Jordan, too, is he's always done, especially over the last few years, a terrific job of, of blending video with audio, and I think he's a he's a terrific example, and I'd love to have your kind of candid thoughts about that, Jordan um, as we kind of move of through this this talk and we take questions from the audience. Um, but I also wanted to show kind of how you show your podcasts um, on your website. So yeah. you have on your website mostly audio is is what I see on your website. But if I go to see, you got extensive show notes as well as uh, links to places like a YouTube, uh, those kind of things. But but if I go look at your YouTube um, site, and I will pull this up too, you can kind of see that you have a parallel effort going on here, and it's, <clears throat> it's, it's it's very interesting. And this is the philosophy that I have as well of this convergent strategy is is very powerful of combining audio. Uh, with video as much as you can and using it in its appropriate ways. Because you YouTube is definitely has a huge following. Mm-hmm. As, as everyone knows, it's a huge search engine and um and it's a great place for people to find content. And you've done a terrific job of actually doing that. So if I were to play just to pull up one of your videos. I'm not quite sure why that came up, but Yeah, I don't it. know what
1: that is. So, say, uh, that's not me the show. Today, a bit of a heavy one. My friend Masab Hassan Youssef was a member of Hamas, a very high-ranking member of Hamas. His father was the leader of Hamas, and he was the number one Israeli informant inside that group. They gave him the codename The Green Prince, and he was responsible for foiling dozens of deadly terrorist plots. Long show. It's a heavy show. It's an interesting, very fascinating show. So I'm just going to let it rip right here with Masab Hassan Youssef. Enjoy. You have very strong beliefs, and your story. How my fat in this video? Holy moly! <laughs> <Lord.
0: laughs> Basically, we're f- so. All I want to do is kind of give a flavor of of what you're doing on your podcast and and, and how it's um, being being produced. Uh, it's a very compelling audio um, session as well, but it's also very compelling on the video side, and I think that's that's what we're trying to do here at, at at streamyard and and what um i'm trying to do is 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 presents this opportunity i think of doing this converged strategy and so jordan i know um why don't you just kind of give a real high level picture i know you, you have extensive background i could spend the next 10 minutes talking about your background coming from broadcast radio through SiriusXM and then starting your podcast many, many years ago now. But you also kind of started your podcasting career doing the Art of Charm podcast as well, which really, I think, got you introduced to podcasting to some degree. But why don't you tell me that that quick journey that you had and why you started doing a show and and a podcast?
1: Sure. So initially... I was teaching a class at the University of Michigan Law School, and I i, I say class very loosely. This is like a bonus session that Career Services had asked me to teach about networking and relationship development, and it was like, it wasn't popular, not a lot of people showed up. When we'd show up, I'd have my group of eight people, and the door would be locked because the people forgot to unlock the door for us, so I started holding these classes at a bar, and I started to talk about body language and nonverbal communication as part of networking and relationship development, and it sort of morphed into me reading couples body language, or not couples, just people who are together, body language at this bar where I was holding the course because the bar was always open and there's always tables at 4 p.m., right? And mm-hmm. that got the attention of a lot of female law students because they were really interested in this stuff. and They'd never heard it before. So they started bringing huge groups and by huge I mean like 15 people but that was big for a class that had two or three people show up at any time, eight max originally. And then since I was walking into the bar with eight to 15 to sometimes upwards of 20 women every week on Thursday or Tuesday or whatever day it was, guys started to be like, all right, what is this? What are you doing? I see you here, you're, it's always you, and then there's this gaggle of like, attractive women, what are, you, what are you doing in my bar? And so guys started to tag along and come in, and the problem I was having was I would teach something on a Tuesday, and then the next Tuesday I'd come back and there'd be like five more guys that had never been there before, and they'd be like, oh, what, what about this? And they'd want to go over all the basics. So what I started doing is recording my talks using my Sony Minidisc player to throw back the uh, oh. audio folks a while. Yeah, and right. I would take the that and I would burn it to CDs. And I would give these guys the CDs. And then I started losing CDs. I'd give a CD away and the guy would never give it back. He'd be like, I gave it away. So I started charging five bucks for the CDs. Then I started charging 20 bucks for the CDs. And I still wasn't getting them back. And I was like, what the heck are you guys doing? One guy was like, I need five. Here's $100. I'm thinking, (laughs) why do you need five CDs just to take the beginning of a course and then come back and, you know, I'm going to give you your money back when you bring the CD back. He's like, no, I gave one to my brother. He totally needs it. My cousin needed one. That guy really needed My roommate needed one. I want one for myself. And I bought an extra one because I always meet people who need this stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm not teaching a class. I have a product. But I'm not going to get rich selling $20 CDs. I'm in law school. I got a job on Wall Street lined up. What am I, this is, peanuts i just want to give the information away right so how do i do that there was no way i was like can we upload mp3 files to a website and i remember calling godaddy and they were like yeah you can buy server hosting how many people you think are going to download this i was like i don't know like a hundred a month and they were like oh yeah it's going to be you know 30 bucks i was like great i'll just do that we blew through our downloads in like a day and a half and they're like hi your bandwidth is up i'm like no no, no, i just signed up that it's not possible they're like no your bandwidth has is, is is gone and i'm like well, how how is that possible and the reason is because somebody who had followed the show essentially before we had the website was like oh great a website and then posted it on some discussion board and everyone went and downloaded it and i ran out i ran out of bandwidth so then i bought more bandwidth and i was like hey i'm gonna go broke doing this there was no real easy way to do it and one of my friends at the time was like hey there's this kind of new ish thing called podcasting where iTunes, which everyone had in law school, everyone. I mean, we were like, that was like library sharing HQ. People had these hacks where you could get to other people's iTunes library. I mean, it was a magical time for for music sharing. And and Napster was still alive. And I was like, what if I put this up on Apple and people can get it in iTunes? Now, we're talking about like text-based, menu-driven, Like podcasts, what are those? I don't know. And then there's just text menus. You didn't have cover art, nothing like that. There was no app store because there was no iPhone. Right. 2006. So people started to find our show. And I remember we had this thing up called Site Meter, which would show you where people were from. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I was transported into a magical land where the internet, the possibilities of the internet just opened up to me before my eyes. It was like... It's hard to explain now because everyone's so used to everything being global.
0: But yeah. It's it, just normal now. It's right? normal it's, now. It's, right.
1: But, but right. when you're a punk ass kid in Michigan and you're going to be a lawyer in New York's the furthest place that you could think of going Right. to have somebody download your show from South Africa and be like, yeah, I listened to this on my MP3 player as I am doing my game warden duties in South Africa. And then another person in Germany, another person in France, people in Canada. And I remember going on the, on the podcast. I was like, Hey, who are you guys listening in these other places? Because I'm giving business cards away with my website name to people I meet in bars, and like my buddies are handing them out to their friends. But how did you find us? And they're like, oh, Apple, or oh, I found a goo. I was reading a blog, and the blogger linked to you, and I found your podcast, and I said, and it just, it was like, my mind just expanded in this way where it was like black and the black and white world turned to color. There was no such thing as influencers. Twitter didn't exist. Facebook right. was for friends only at certain universities. And I was like, this is like, I'm like, an, I'm able to influence people to do things and change habits. Nothing was being sold, right? There was no such thing as a podcast ad back then. Maybe you could sell like a domain name for GoDaddy, right. but that was it. And so I was really just like blown away by this. And people were calling me on the phone. We had a Skype number, and they were like, "I want to pay you. I want to bounce ideas off you, and I'll pay you, you know, a hundred dollars an hour." And I was like, the, "For money like that, when you're in college, is glorious. You're lucky to have a hundred dollars a month to spend on drinks." Now I'm getting a hundred bucks to lay on the hammock outside for an hour every day, every other day. Yeah, right. So yeah. I was just like, "This is absolutely glorious." So I did that and that was the beginning of it and then when I worked on Wall Street I was I ended up with a guest spot on a show on Sirius XM satellite radio the show called Cavino and Rich mm-hmm. and those guys were like hey you know you guys are not bad you know it's like you've done this before and we're like oh we have a podcast and they were like oh th- I've sort of heard of those and those like those nerdy things I was like yeah it's like a nerdy you know internet yeah. radio thing not a real thing like you guys are doing and they were like yeah whatever so I went back on there and then the station manager one day When we were back on that show was like, hey, I checked out you guys uh, because I was just happened to be it's called an air check. It's where they're like, how's this show doing? How's this guest doing? How they so a few people from management happened to be talk about a lucky break, happened to be listening. And they were like, this is pretty good. You guys could do your own show. And I was like, I am absolutely going to follow up with that (laughs) uh, with you on that. Repeatedly until you're sick of me, and he's like, "Yeah, do it, fine." And I did. I mean, I spent like two months emailing this guy, like every three days, being like, "Hey, did you check out the show. Did you check out the show. Did you check out the show." And he's like, "I finally checked it out. Pretty good. Not bad. You guys want to do a radio show?" And I was like, "Uh, yeah, I want to turn my podcast into a show that's essentially blasted all across the U.S. and Canada. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah, let's do it." So I I was moonlighting from my job as an attorney as a radio talk show host, doing live call-in radio and everything. But I still did the podcast. And the reason people were like, just quit the podcast, man. You're on satellite radio now. What are you doing? I'll
0: bet you're happy you didn't. Well,
1: yeah. Because the thing with (laughs) the podcast was I was like, you know, the thing is I own it and I can do whatever I want on it. And it's not a call-in format. I can do these different topics. I don't have commercial Mm -hmm. breaks. Like, you never know what's going to happen with radio. and sure enough like four whatever it was years later they were like hey we're scaling back we don't want to pay talent uh we we, we want to pay some talent not other talent you know like the low end talent like us that was just peanuts they were like Let's cut the cut the cut the the cruft so i right. i went okay i guess i'm done now and i just kept doing the podcast And all those show fans were like, oh, well, I guess I'll just listen to your podcast instead. So I just kept doing that. And then I had sort of a tumultuous break that I won't belabor uh, about six years ago with my previous business partners. And I had to start my show all over again with the Jordan Harbinger show. Mm -hmm. And I thought it's going to take like years and years and years. But it turns out that now the market is in a very different place than it was back then. And... If yeah. you know what you're doing and you know where people find podcast listeners and stuff like that, you can, you can essentially grow way, way more. I mean, before Spotify existed, YouTube existed, and, and nobody knew what podcasts were. So you grew, you know, you got a new listener every day if you're lucky. Now you can get hundreds or thousands of new listeners every day if you're doing something that people are sharing and talking about. Yeah. It's, and the algorithm picks you up on YouTube. It's a completely different game.
0: Yeah. And that's actually a really good kind of segue to what I wanted to talk about a little bit with you too. And I think a lot of people that are joining this show are probably really curious about how, how you think about growing your show now. I know it's a different, Mm -hmm. at a different scale, it's a little different than it was in the beginning. But if you were to start a show now, um, where do you see the opportunities in the direction to go? Is it, is it kind of moving towards I'm kind of bigger budgets or do you think that grassroots kind of gorilla uh, expansion of a podcast is still possible? Uh, I think it's still it?
1: possible uh, to give you an idea. When I first started the show, my, mm-hmm. and I'm talking 2006, my yeah. gorilla marketing stuff was, all right, I'm going to find every blogger on the internet. That's 10, even remotely related to the stuff I'm talking about, body language, mm-hmm. dating sales. There was like 30, right? I mean, it wasn't, you know, a massive, amount of people, it wasn't like I had a spreadsheet with 10,000 people on it, you know, these are people, and it's like one guy knew the other guy, because they worked at the same company doing the dating stuff, or the body language stuff, or whatever, so it wasn't that hard, and I would reach out to them, and email them, and keep in touch with them, and be like, I'll link to your blog if you link to my podcast, and that back then people did that, that was like the genesis of the early, yeah, issue right. it. It, was, it wasn't It was like, pay me money for this, it was like, yeah, I'll link to you, your stuff's cool, link to my stuff, cool, thanks, good, good you know, fist virtual fist bump, and we're out. And then I'd, if I, if a blogger wrote something interesting, I'd be like, hey, come on the show and talk about it. That, it was just really very similar to what it is now. Only now you know, you're interviewing somebody who shows up with a book. And right. I did a lot of that. And people would find you organically. People would share stuff if you created good stuff. There mm-hmm. weren't podcasts. There were a few hundred, maybe a few thousand. And yeah. them weren't in your category anyways. And so if somebody found what you were doing, there you go, right? I mean, it was, it was it just wasn't that bad. I still think there's room for that. And I honestly, I've spent millions of dollars marketing the Jordan Harbinger show. Literally, I probably spent like four plus million dollars doing it. That mm-hmm. works. But people think, oh, well, your show's big because you spent four million dollars marketing it. No, I got those four million dollars <laughs> from my show initially, Right. right. <laughs>
0: Didn't, What's investment spend is what that is, right? So you had to have some success prior to being able to do something like that. Right, right. this
1: isn't money I got from like my dearly departed great-grandfather and <laughs> right. I was like, it's I'm gonna bad. buy, a, I'm gonna make Old myself famous today. on the internet. Yeah, this is right, not right. not that at all, right? This is my right. own money. And while that did work to scale, what really worked for years and years and years and years and will work for everybody forever is, or forever is a long time, but will still yeah. definitely work is, interviewing great people, and then having your audience be like, this is so good, I have to share it. Now that's slow, but that's how you build an audience over time. People share it and they're like, I can't stop talking about how great this podcast is. And, and I can sort of prove this with a couple of anecdotes. I know proof and anecdotes don't always mix, but, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Some of the fastest growing shows around are true crime shows. Yeah. And the reason is because a lot of women are really into it. It's like a, it skews heavily female, that demographic. Women share things a lot more than guys do. Mm-hmm. And so, if you can get an audience of women to be crazy about something and stories are engaging and like you get wrapped up in it and it's got this element of adrenaline because it's kind of like fear porn, a lot of the true crime, murdery stuff. Yeah. So you get women, especially not just women, but mostly women, sharing this stuff at rates that are just. Unbelievable until suddenly you get a show, a true crime show that's been around for three years and has 300,000 downloads an episode. And you're like, what? I've been around for 20 years and I don't have 300,000. You know, and 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 you just plateau in certain niches or tech tech niches or hobby niches just don't have that kind of reach. And So really the best thing you can do is unfortunately slash fortunately is just create stuff that's so good for whatever your particular audience is that you have trust Mm -hmm. and people go, I love this and I want to share it. Mm -hmm. And they like you as a creator, so they want to help the creator out. Now there's, of course there's other things you can do to get your show growing and I'm sure we'll talk about those, but you kind of have to have the content part nailed down first because if you don't. Unfortunately, what happens is people can. Consp- but you can spend forty million dollars on marketing your show, but if it stinks, people are aren't going to retain. So it's like filling up a bucket with water, but there's a hole in the bottom of
0: the bucket. You got to plug yeah, the it's hole. Draining first. out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I mean, there's definitely um, challenges um, on the content side, and that's that's a very subjective uh, issue in podcasting too. Because what is quality content? What is content that Uh, will will connect with audience and 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 i think for a lot of creators that's a hard you know conclusion to come to is what is good enough what is the right content um so, so how do you think about that do you try and get in the mind of your audience or do you just uh just in your gut you just know um from an emotional perspective what's going to connect with um people that follow you or do you do research on that
1: yeah interesting so one thing that i i'm still on the fence as to whether i have a talent for this or i just am like everyone else so i'll leave it open to i think it's open to interpretation i simply do shows on things that i am interested in and i assume that by virtue of the fact that i'm a human being and other people listening are also human beings and i'm not that weird i'm a weird guy but i'm not like way off on the reservation where i'm like the most fascinating thing to me is how bugs reproduce like that's not me right i my interests generally fall somewhere within like mainstream ish but i really like some of this edgy stuff over here and some of this edgy stuff over here and some of this edgy stuff over here so when i do shows that are on the edges most of the people who are listening are like oh i didn't think i would be interested in a show about sand but now that I know that sand is a massively important and also somehow scarce resource because of construction and yada yada and the type of sand, we, I didn't know that sand would be interesting. Or I'll do a show on somebody who, uh, one of what recent show that I had was, um, the one you showed where the the guy was raised in Hamas. His dad founded Hamas and now he's anti-Hamas. That was just a really interesting guy. And I thought somebody hmm. else is going to be interested in this. I watched a documentary, really interesting, tracked down his book agent. Book agent was like, he doesn't do interviews, but I know who you are. Let me pass it on to him. And I followed up for two and a half years. And the guy was like, why are you so interested in this? And I was like, because you're an interesting guy. I've got all kinds of stuff like this and whatever. And he was like, fine, I'll do it. And now I've been friends with that guy for quite a while. So some of that is networking skill, but honestly... The majority of how I choose things i 'm not sending out like demographic surveys to my audience where I 'm like, "Would you like to hear more about this or more about that?" I basically assume that by virtue of the fact again that we're all human and my interests are not that ridiculous, that some percentage of my audience is going to be interested even if that audience even if that percentage is like half and the mm-hmm. other half don't tune in or they're like, "Ah, that wasn't my thing, I don't care about geopolitics fine you know it's part of my show. Part of my show, uh, part of the Jordan Harbinger show is I'll do a show about science, then I'll do a show about geopolitics, then I'll do a show that debunks astrology or whatever, then I'll do a show uh, about a Nazi castle where there were crazy escape attempts, and people are just like, wow, I, the variety here keeps us coming back. If I don't like something from this week, I'll probably like something from next week. And so that's really easy, it makes it easier for your audience to share, and also, mm-hmm. It means that if somebody hears an episode and they're like, I hated that, that doesn't really matter because they know that your shows are so different that they're not just going to get more of that next week. They're going to get something totally different. And so they give you another shot. And so I really don't worry too much about like, oh, is my audience going to be interested in this? I kind of let me rephrase that. I definitely am thinking about is my audience going to be interested in this? But mostly that that becomes am I interested in this? And if I'm interested in it, I assume a decent percentage of my audience also will be. And the rest of them know that they can come back for something else at a later time. And and there's a lot of over time, of course, people have built up a trust where they go, an episode about sand. All right, Jordan, I've been listening to you for a year and you haven't let me down yet, but this better be good. And then people will email and go, I can't believe that sand is my favorite episode now. What the hell? And and that's that's what you get when you have trust with the audience. So no, I don't have any sort of magic formula. I really go by instinct. And that's why I said I'm not sure if this is like a talent where I'm like, oh, I'm good at picking topics. Or if I'm just like everyone else and I can just pick something that I'm interested in and, and people are kind of uh, going to go along with that. And I like this person's question. I don't know if I you do to too. Questions. I like this yeah, one too. Let's do this I agree one. with you.
0: Yeah. It's a, it says, Jordan, uh, can you have a variety show now? Um, be, be- you know, especially now that you're you're well known, you can do that. But I think you've always done that. But, mm-hmm. um, what about those that who um aren't as as well known uh, or as seasoned as uh, as you, Jordan, on this yeah. topic? I mean, do you think anybody can do a variety show? And I, I I started out on the radio doing kind of a little bit of a variety show, but at least I had a kind of like a big topic that's a through was line. On. Yeah, right. But but yeah, I think having some variety in your show. I think it's more acceptable now than it was even in the earlier days of podcasting. But I don't I do, know what you think about that.
1: I do too, but I will say, I think Marissa's onto something. I don't know if you use people's names, so I just did. I hope that's yeah, okay. Yeah, it's fine. Um, I, I think she's onto something because early, early on, my show was only about dating and relationships. And it was mostly just about dating because it wasn't in relationships. And that was kind of the thing I was complaining about on the podcast, right? And trying to figure out. So that got the initial core audience together. And then after years, I was like, you know, my friend's buddy is this like drug smuggler and he's willing to talk to me as long as I disguise his voice. I should totally interview this guy. So I did one and I was like, hey y'all, if you're here for the dating and relationship stuff, this is not that, this is a drug smuggler, but like, let me know what you think. And people were like, by far my favorite episode. Or like, wow, that was so good, more of that. That was really something. And then, I thought, wow, okay, I'm really interested in these topics, let me find someone. So I found a guy who was like a cartel hitman, I was talking with him, and people were just like, how do you find these people? Because journalists weren't really doing a lot of this stuff back then. Now they do here and there, there's a lot more media, you can go on YouTube and find these interviews, real or fake, with a lot of guys like that. But back back then, mm-hmm. no one was doing this. Uh, it, it, was, it was really new. And so I really do think that you should have some core through line. Whether you stick to it all the time is your business. Mm -hmm. I like to poke at the edges. So I like to have it through, like even my new show, Jordan, when it was the Jordan Harbinger show, I was like, let me just do mostly psychology and science. So then I did a lot of that. And then it was like, well, what about this guy who was in Hamas? What about this other guy who was, now I can do variety because I'm constantly like like pushing at the edges of whatever sort of confined space Mm -hmm. my show was in before and pushing the walls out more and more with each episode. What you don't want to do and I've seen podcast hosts do this, where they tank their audience, because they'll have a show that, there was a guy, and I wanna out him, because he's a nice guy, but he made a couple really big mistakes early in his podcasting career. He had a show that I wanna say was like about productivity and life hacky stuff, and then he was like, I'm gonna do what you do, and I was like, oh, okay, and instead of being like, I'm gonna do a show that's about psychology and not just life hacking, he like started telling jokes, on on the show yeah. and then he did another episode where it was like his favorite music and i was like hey man there's experimenting and then there's wtf So he's like, man, I lost like half my subscribers doing that stuff because he did it for months. And I was like, oh, man, you should throw a show in there where you're doing a couple of jokes at the end of another thing about your usual thing. And then the next five shows are normal. And then if you want to do music, wait till you're done with another show that's a little shorter. Do a 20 minute music segment, then make your next month of shows normal. But he didn't do that. He just like completely left the 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 reservation, so to speak. I I don't think we're supposed to say that anymore, but I don't know a better (laughs) analogy. He just completely like dove into this uncharted waters and then never turned back. And his audience was like, what do I expect from this guy? I'm out.
0: Well that's also kind of kind of a good lead into kind of another little twist on this is is really being a good um talk show host of of sorts is being able to create emotion in your audience, right? Mm -hmm. And that that sometimes uh, requires you to push the envelope a little bit on topics, right? I mean, I I can see what you've been doing with the the whole Middle East conflict kind of topic, right? It's it's a very controversial topic, and mm-hmm. and it, it and it is an opportunity for a content creator to build audience because people, you know, unfortunately in this day and age, people like to take sides on things, mm-hmm. and and but if you can keep somebody listening. Uh, and being able to walk that line between sides to get them to hear a different perspective on something, maybe it inspires a little bit of an emotional response. But yeah. as long as they keep coming back is the key. I always liked those emails that I got, you know, surprisingly, and I've mentioned this, I think, on the show before, where, where I covered a controversial topic. I like, I did a show on my, my old old radio show about PETA, the people for ethical treatment Mm. of animals. And that was a very controversial um, show because there's very many, there's a lot of people in the audience that think that PETA is a terrorist organization. (laughs) And then there's other people that love, you know, fighting for animal rights, you know? And, and so you have this kind of division that happens that creates conversation. Um, it's just now. It's kind of dangerous, isn't it?
1: It's dangerous. You got to be really
0: sensitive about this
1: stuff. I see a lot of like Israel Palestine stuff, and a lot of it's done really well, which is cool. But there's also a lot of stuff that's really tacky. So for me, I had Masab Hassan on, who's again his dad founded Hamas. Then I and I had him on three years ago. So I did a remix, a sort of a re re air of that episode with some more commentary from me that was more about mm-hmm. the current conflict and more relevant. Then I had another guy who was completely the opposite of him, who was, uh, I guess you would say pro Hamas, but was Israeli. And his dad was Mm -hmm. a general in the Israeli army. And he's like as radical left as you can get in Israel. And I had him on. Mm -hmm. And that people were like, wow, that was you must your inbox must be disgusting right now, because, of course, (laughs) all, all you did was all I did was just piss off everyone. Um, but I didn't do it in a gross way. It wasn't right. like flagrant and it wasn't disrespectful. It was actually trying to humanize. And so I, some of the most shocking emails that I got would be from like a very pro-Israel Israeli person who's serving in the IDF and is like, I heard that with the radical left guy who wants Israel to be destroyed. You did a really mm-hmm. good job. I mean, I don't agree with that guy, but it was a really interesting interview. So I think you do it right when you get emails like that you'd get it wrong when you just let somebody like parrot propaganda, you don't fact check at all, and then they say yeah. horrible things, and then you just ignore the fact that yeah. that person did damage. Like airing somebody's bad ideas isn't really damaging, but if you let people spread literal hatred or something like that, which a lot of people are unfortunately doing and making a mistake yeah. uh, in this day and age, those people are causing more harm than good. And yeah. they might be getting clicks and they're pretty happy about yeah. it and their TikTok went viral, but like, yeah. if you're telling youngsters that Osama bin Laden had some pretty good ideas, you're just a moron. And that's, right. and you're you're right. toxic. You know, that's right. the end of that.
0: Yeah, and it's hard to, it's hard to be equal these days, too, because there is such thing as right and wrong, right? Yes. I think from a moral and ethical standpoint. Um, but Even if you stand on a moral or ethical position, there's haters out there that are going to come your way. Um, Even though I think moral and ethically, that position or that thought was correct, um, the world is far more complex than just simple uh, left and right or right and wrong or whatever. There's like this gray area.
1: Especially these kinds of conflicts. like you know, it's, it's really, it really, it gets really people choose a side and then they turn their brain off and it's like, Oh my right. gosh. And I don't want to get into the details cause it's beyond the scope of a, podca- sure right. a no, podcast, yeah. but the, the core, the kernel of this is you do want to do that stuff in a sensitive way, but I don't, I also don't follow trends very often. Uh, mm-hmm. what I mean by that is I see a lot of YouTubers. This is a a little rant that I guess I can go on here. I see a lot of YouTubers, and what they'll do is they'll post something like three reasons why Ukraine will lose the war. And it's like three weeks after this war started and people are dying. And I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, you're getting clicks. And I've seen a lot of podcasters make this mistake where they will have a good podcast, and then they'll start a YouTube channel and their podcast is like about brain science or whatever and then they go on youtube and their brain science episodes they do okay but then they do another episode which is like pretty actress that hasn't worked in 10 years but you know his friend knows her so he has her on and then that episode does well because people like to see attractive women on youtube so then he's like oh what other people can i get that are just like randomly good looking folks that have nothing to do with what our audience wants and I, I see the clicks go up, and I, of course their revenue is going up, you know, because they're getting right. a million views instead of 200,000. But I also look at the comments, and the top comment, which has 2,500 likes, is what happened to the show? It used to be so good. There Man. used to be smart people on here. Now it's this, why did you do this? And I'm like, right. when you have 2,500 people liking that comment, you have lost the plot. You've officially become, like I call it the Jerry Springer effect, Right. Do you, you're you're old enough to remember this too of course like me oh yeah jerry springer was like a very serious wealth he just thought about things and he had really good commentary and he was very down to earth and likable which people yeah. are like wait jerry springer the guy with the chairs and the Jerry, Jer- that,
0: guy? No, yes, right that guy on stage right right yeah.
1: but yeah. then geraldo rivera who like you know I don't need to probably explain who this knucklehead is. He had like Nazis on and then he had Black Panthers on and he got hit in the face with a chair because they started fighting, of course. Yeah, of course and right. his ratings went through the roof. I don't know if he staged it, expected it to happen or if he just got lucky, but his ratings went through the roof. And then Geraldo, that show, which is competing with Jerry Springer and Sally Jesse Raphael, and all those, that was like the most popular daytime TV talk show because it was like watching a wrestling match. So then Jenny Jones, Ricky (laughs) Lake, Jerry Springer, Sally Jesse Raphael all went from like, I'm a normal smart person having intelligent conversations to where can we find the trashiest, biggest idiots in America and then put them all in one room and then like give them objects to hit each other with. And so it turned TV, daytime TV into the dumbest crap you can imagine podcasters are in very big danger of doing something similar where when they chase the algorithm on YouTube, they will start to do what gets clicks and what gets clicks are is, is trashy, stupid stuff. Most of the time, unfortunately.
0: Right. Right. And it's not, it's not always the best content either, Um, but it may drive emotional response, but we did get a question. Sure. Like from April and, and she asks about uh, collaboration. So. do you collaborate now granted this is a fairly open ended reference to the term collaboration mm-hmm. but uh but as you think about the growth of your show and what you've done over the years has been collaboration with others it, i mean certainly guests but with on the distribution side marketing side i mean how does collaboration fit into what you've done with your show over the years
1: i i would say collaboration is is of course It's not to sound too cliche, but it's key, right? I mean, look, early in the day or early in the game, I back in the day, I would um, invite those bloggers or those writers or whatever on the show and they would share it with their audience and it worked really well. That sort of still happens. Although now that's another way to get to the Jerry Springer effect is by choosing guests based on how many followers they have. And I've seen it work, I've seen it work for sure where people will choose they'll just go through everybody on Instagram that has over a million followers and they'll try to figure out a way to do a show with that person and it's okay i mean you build your audience but i i can't imagine it's a high quality audience of good people it's because you know that person then shares it with their followers and you get these sort of like casual social media followers that maybe occasionally tune in to your show but you're still chasing that stuff don't do that to yourself you know um yeah, collaborate only with people that you find interesting and yeah. you'll just do work that you enjoy a whole lot more. And I, I think yes, collaborating is, is very important. Every guest on the Jordan Harbinger show is essentially a collaborator, a right? collaborator right? I mean, right. they wrote a book. I read the book. I interviewed them. They did a good job. Maybe they share it with their audience. If the interview is mm-hmm. something they really enjoyed, but if they don't, oh well, it's not the guest's job to build your business and you shouldn't pick guests based on the splash they're gonna make. Now everyone will disagree with this, right? Because even like daytime TV talk shows that have celebrities on because people will watch. You are, your audience comes there for the conversations you're having. You don't want them to go to you because you're the guy who can, interview famous people, because everyone who has connections can do that. You're just commoditizing yourself. Mm-hmm. You should p- try to collaborate with people sort of deeply, rather than be like, I'm the show where all the inspirational people come for <laughs> inspiring. It's just like, you really can dilute your brand. And then, and I saw a, a friend of mine used to do this. He was like, I'm gonna do a show that's all about inspiration, because he just he was dying to be famous. And then Jay Shetty came along and was like, oh, I can do this too, except for I have way more connections and Facebook, the algorithm loves me and they're going to put me on the front page for two years and build a huge social media file. And this guy just got obliterated. I mean, nobody oh, even yeah. knows his name anymore because yeah. guys like Jay Shetty came and just bulldozed him and he wasn't doing anything special. He was like, I'm interviewing influencers and celebrities about whatever. And Jay Shetty was like, yeah, okay, and just did it better and now they're screwed. There's not going to be that many people who do niche stuff that's in your core wheelhouse. Like I'll talk about brain science, psychology, uh, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. There's other people that talk about those things. Do they have the variety we have? Do they have the same type of vibe that we have? Not really. So we have a unique product that's high quality that gets people to stay. You don't, you want to do anything in your power to not commoditize yourself. Uh, are you? And also, I
0: mean, what's the balance that you try and strike with, um, your own views versus your guests views? Um, because, I would think at the end of the day and this is kind of what what I wondered about and have learned over many years myself is that the, the audience comes back every week because they like the host primarily. Right. Guests are like, you know, it's like a revolving door, right? They they might come in to to hear a guest, but they but they may be loyal because of the host and mm-hmm. the host's judgment in the guest. So it's almost like a trust relationship. It do is. you think of it in that way?
1: I do. Yeah. I I think of so, so again, I'm a former attorney, still technically an attorney, so I think of my listeners almost like my clients, like I have a fiduciary duty not to lie to them, not to sell them a product that I'm like, oh, this product yeah. sucks, but I've got the money, so I'm gonna tell them to buy it. I don't do that, and and I gotta be really careful about that, and I I'm basically I'm building trust with them over a really long period of time, so if I have a guest on that just spouts a lot of stuff that people don't like, I get a pass for that a lot of time, but if I if all I do is that, then people the trust is broken. But you you want this? I, I know people who build these businesses, especially the YouTubers who are like three weird tricks, click here that stuff. That's great because you get YouTube ads, you get paid per impression. There's a reason YouTube ads are like three dollars CPM. Right. Podcast ads are totally different, and the reason yeah. is because. I'm talking to the same people I talk to all the time in terms of the audience so they can charge $30 CPM, you know, full $10, or sorry, 10 times more than Mm -hmm. YouTube. And the reason is because, yes, you have casual fans who are like, oh, Jordan Harbinger interviewed Kobe Bryant. I'm gonna go listen to that. And they never listen to your show again. That person is not buying a mattress from your sponsor. They are ignoring it. They've never heard it. They're tuning out when you do the ads and they move on with their life and they never listen to another episode of your show again. You want to get a loyal audience because those are the people that go, I think I need a new mattress. Let's see if Jordan has anything on his site that's a mat. Oh yeah, the, okay, eight sleep. All right, I'm, maybe I'll look into that. He said he's like he likes it, I'm going to use his code. That's why you get renewals and that's how you get you make money in podcasting. So the incentives actually for podcasters, if you don't screw it up, are aligned really well. Build an audience that loves you, sell them sponsored goods that are not crap and and then you will continue to get deals from sponsors. YouTube incentives are lie to people so they click on the video, put a bunch of ads in the beginning of the video, right. now you've got your money, who cares what comes next as long as the algorithm is actually favoring you. So in YouTube land, yeah. you're loyal to the algorithm. In audio podcast land, you're loyal to the audience. And I think that's a huge difference. And it's also why podcasters, can make a million dollars a year and a YouTuber has to have like a hundred times as many people watching their videos to make that kind of money.
0: So as you think about YouTube in the context of your podcast, it sounds like you, you would much rather emphasize the audio version over, or, or the video yeah. version. But have you found a benefit of having video and audio that, do you think you pick up audio listeners from having a video show on YouTube? So,
1: there's two questions there. Do I think there's a um, benefit to video? Yes. Uh I love having my video on YouTube. I basically ignore my YouTube channel, but my I do have a YouTube team as you can see. Right. And one of our our video last week got a million or over a million views. Great. That made some money. I got like 25,000 subscribers or something off that video, maybe 20, I don't know, something like that. That was cool. Uh but it doesn't really convert to audio listeners very no one and i email a lot of fans i i say i probably email a thousand people a month right and i i have conversations with show fans in my dm inbox all the time kind of known for answering everything that i get and not once has anybody ever said i actually found your audio podcast by looking at your youtube and then i was like oh let me find them in a podcast app if they find me via youtube They only watch via YouTube and then often I'll boomerang it and I'll check in with them like six months later and I'll go, hey, you still listening to the show? And they'll go, oh no, I think the algorithm changed. I subscribe, but I just, I don't see your stuff on my explore page, so I don't watch it. So those people are not really, they're just they're just going with whatever YouTube feeds them. When someone subscribes to your audio podcast though, as you know, they get every episode and if their trust is there, they'll listen to it even if it doesn't seem interesting, like the sand episode. So you have to be really careful with that because YouTube, you're again, you're always chasing that algorithm or your business will die overnight. And if they tweak anything, God forbid, you're in trouble. Podcasting is decentralized. You don't have to worry about it. You have to it appeal to your audience. And if like Spotify if Spotify's like, we're not featuring the Jordan Harbinger show anymore, who cares? The people who find it, find it. The people who are subscribed are still subscribed. I don't need them to promote me. You have to have YouTube promote you or you don't have a business. So there's a benefit to having video because people can find you there and they're expecting right. to find stuff there, but there's like, there's no real conversion from yeah. YouTube to people going to subscribe to you on Spotify. That's like, yeah, it's it, a, it happens. It's a I don't even different know. Medium, you know, and yeah. if you
0: like to consume content on YouTube, you're just going to consume it over there. And, and especially if you're doing it on your television, it's almost like it's a separate consumption environment platform, um, you know, and it has a completely different kind of monetization approach too. But I would imagine that you do host reads, right? On I your do. YouTube I mean, I have as a lot well of as I, on your audio. Oh,
1: yeah. Actually, no, I don't do host no? reads on my YouTube. And the reason is because it's been too hard to sell. Now, maybe another network would do this, but podcast one is like, hey man, we can't sell your show if uh if you've got 14,000 views on one video and the next one has four hundred thousand. <laughs> because then we can only sell the fourteen thousand views. and it's the, other, the
0: lowest one, right? Right. Yeah. You don't get yeah. the.
1: You don't get this like flexible rate. You don't get the highest one. You can't say we're going to sell you five hundred thousand impressions, and then it gets ten thousand, and now you've got to do fifty more ad reads to make up the loss. It just it doesn't work that way. So I actually don't put any host read ads in my YouTube videos. I only do YouTube ads, which is okay until you get demonetized because you had an interview with somebody from Hamas and Hamas <laughs> doesn't like it. So they put their bots on you and report the video for violence, even though it's a video of two dudes on a webcam.
0: Yeah, well, and I think uh, we had a question about that topic of of how you juggle these, these co- controversial topics when these platforms will take you down for it. I mean, it yeah. can really be a, a punch in the gut if you spend a lot of time creating terrific um, interesting programming, and but the algorithm or the you know the the platform says you know sorry that that's, exactly. that's not our yeah. Community I mean, guidelines, right? That
1: happened to me this month. My the interview with the son of Hamas founder. I mean, it was like cool, approved, greenlit. Got four hundred thousand views got demonetized, got 500,000 more views, got yeah. reapproved. got 300,000 more views. And I was like, wow, if I was dependent on this, I think I just lost like $6,000. <laughs> but I, I'm not dependent on it, so I don't worry about it. But yeah, it's really frustrating. So that's another reason why I love podcasting is YouTubers have to be like, oh, okay, we can't talk about this, we can't talk about this, we can't talk about this, we can't talk about this. Meanwhile, I'm like, China this, AI that, Hamas this, Palestine that, Israel this, and nobody can stop me because what they're going to have to, like, what, appeal to Apple and Spotify and say what? This guy has opinions I don't like. Okay, we'll get back to you in 18 months when somebody reviews this email. And then we're gonna say, oh well, like you know who Alex Jones is, this like a conspiracy, a crazy conspiracy guy who says like there's aliens and lizard people and this, that, and the other. It took them like years to get his podcast removed from Apple because Apple was like, we don't mess with the content. But it was so gross after a while. He was saying like Sandy Hook, the school shooting didn't happen. And Apple was like, dude, okay, we got to draw the line at some point with the anti-Semitism and the shootings and the lizard people with the, it, it was just kooky, kooky stuff. But YouTube now you can get reported because somebody and has a bot army and decides they just don't like you. Um, and they mm-hmm. can say, oh, there's graphic violence in this video. And then by the time YouTube reviews it and goes, there's no graphic violence in here. You've already lost momentum. The algorithm's already dinged you and you haven't made any money.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of a crazy thing that's going on out there right now with um, content. You know, it feels like content creators are walking on eggshells. Yeah. Uh, especially if they're trying to cover, you know, kind of at the edge of culture topics. Uh, it's so mm-hmm. easy to step over the line. I know. You know, some creators are are you know straddling the line between. I don't know if you've explored this or not between having a certain segment of your show on Rumble and other segment of your show mm. on like a YouTube or something like that. But it sounds like you're more focused on the audio side.
1: I am, so. yeah. So I never really have to worry about this, but I do understand. I w- I definitely, if I had a political show or any sort of controversial takes. I would probably not wanna be on YouTube or Instagram or whatever because, I mean, you have to be there because that's where the audience is, but then it's like somebody can just put a content warning on your stuff even if it's not applicable, which is really a bummer. So, but I'm also not super about a lot of the free speech platform type type stuff. I look, look, don't get me wrong, free speech is important, but a lot of the free speech platforms are kind of like you don't have to look too long before someone's like, Did the Holocaust really happen? Or are the Jews lying again? And you're like, Okay, right. this is not I don't want to be in the company of these insane people. I'm talking about climate change or like plastic in the ocean. Do I need to be next to this yanker?
0: hmm Yeah. I mean, it's it's just one one of those things that, you know, things have changed a little bit. Yeah. You know, I mean, even back in the early days of me doing the radio show I was doing, you know, a lot of these issues. It existed even in the past but mm. but there wasn't as much sensitivity to it i mean and and kind of leading into kind of another topic that content creators need especially podcasters need to be thinking about too and i'm sure this maybe has impacted you already but is the the brand safety and suitability um, platforms that are growing in podcasting have those come into your world at all
1: not really. I'm not, I know Sounder was doing something with that. Right. I'm not super worried about that because I'm not, it's not like, I don't have an interview with, uh, look, I have the interview with the son of the founder of Hamas, but he's anti Hamas. So hopefully the AI is intelligent enough to be like, oh, he's not promoting terrorism. Right. And, you know, so I don't worry too much about that. I guess comedy shows probably need to worry about that because they'll be like telling really disgusting stories and then they're like, easy plate three meals a week for only $3.99. And it's like, nobody wants to hear that after your story about something you did at 4 a.m. in Las Vegas off of another person. Like, that's not a good placement for the brand. And they've been getting away with that kind of stuff, but that's gonna go away. For me, it's not really that big of a deal. Like, one of the reasons I, I think I'm really easy for Podcast One to sell is I don't do anything that's ridiculously controversial. And if I do, I handle it in a pretty respectful I'd like to think, way, and it's also the exception rather than the rule, and we produce three shows a week, and it's got a big audience, so it's really like, no brand It has to worry, I, I will put it this way, I gotta do this without giving away any names. I've definitely been on the recipient receiving end of deals where a podcast network or salesperson will say, this used to be on this guy's show, but then he said X, Y, Z, and started doing ABC, so we're gonna shift those ads over to your show if you wanna take it, and I'm like, okay, sure and it's because an advertiser was like he said what now we are pulling right. our money and the agency was like or the agency and the networks were like no 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 don't take your million dollars back give it to these other shows that are not going to do that they won't do it and then they go okay fine we'll resho- we'll just reallocate the budget so it doesn't pay to be super controversial, even in podcasting, but mm-hmm. the line is so much further, I think, than it is on yep. social media where like a 20 year old intern is making those decisions for entire businesses. <laughs> right.
0: Well, in- increasingly artificial intelligence is being applied to this. Um, you know, they're pulling transcripts from shows and analyzing them and doing mm-hmm. Um, doing analysis of it uh it's basically like a like a contextual mm-hmm. uh, meaning kind of relevancy and they have like ranking uh um, charts that uh will rank a show in a spectrum based on what wh- what's called the Garm standard um but i do see it increasingly having an impact on uh podcasters because if they do want to monetize um that is this going to cause increasing numbers of podcasters to kind of self-censor their content right um kind of pull back a little it, it, bit maybe
1: but it, it depends right it depends it has to cross a certain line like yes look well, like we have the fcc in the united states you can't say the f this on there you can't yeah. say racist it's stuff. Still seven okay. words
0: right or the, the 14 yeah. words or whatever it was right but like
1: okay has that censored content well kind of technically but also are we are we worse off because we don't have the klu klux klan on public access television i I don't think so right so it has to be a, a pretty wide line um the problem happens when you end up being like oh let me cover this conflict from a different angle and they're like oh no we don't like that one um and i haven't seen that in in even in social media, maybe there's been some pro- Maybe there's some problems on Facebook and stuff like that, or, mm-hmm. or or Instagram. I don't pay too much attention to that. I know Twitter's sort of like gone the opposite direction, where like anything goes now, which is not good yeah. uh, for the for the ecosystem. But with podcasting, I think the bal- the right balance, has been struck. And even if there's AI technology, it just depends if a brand is really sensitive. Like maybe it's a church, and they really only want wholesome, family friendly content. They can mm-hmm. find it, and that's oh, yeah. fine as long as it's not like they're asking content creators to change what they're doing. And also, if every brand only wants just really nice rated G stuff, you're gonna have a problem. But the the good news is, that's very unlikely. Because Mm -hmm. as soon as you end up with brands that are like, we only want, you know, it has to be clean, no swearing, no dirty, anything, da-da-da, okay, these 18 gajillion impressions are now off limits, because you can't put an ad on Andrew Schultz Podcast anymore, or yeah. on, and then they go, "Oh no, we kind of like that guy. He's funny." Okay, well then you can't be a hundred percent clean because he's a comedian. He tells stories and he swears occasionally. Mm-hmm. Okay, well then that's fine. You know, so the agencies are gonna come to their senses. Otherwise, they're not gonna be able to advertise.
0: Yeah, well that's true. If they get too sensitive on these things, they they won't have any inventory to buy. Right, right. <laughs> and and yeah. o- overall, the 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 ad market for podcasting is gonna it w- would decline. It would. But I'm um, yeah, not worried it, about
1: that, right? Because somebody, if somebody goes, oh, man, the ad market is down because brands only want super clean stuff, I'm like, okay, good. So there's cheap ads out there. So other brands <laughs> that don't care as much enter the marketplace. Like, that's how yeah, it yeah, happens. There we, go.
0: there we go. There's always an inverse relationship here. That's um, right. Uh, uh, Sonia posted an interesting comment here, too. says says... Uh, uh, she has a a video podcast on YouTube and was doing audio only hosting on Buzzsprout, and then now have uh, switched to Spotify. So uh, I'm sure it's Spotify for podcasters' platform, and and I guess Spotify allows uploading a video. Mm-hmm. What's your thought on a strategy like that of trying to consolidate everything? And and to some degree, YouTube is doing somewhat the same.
1: Yeah, I so. I love Spotify, I'll start with that. I have a good relationship with them. They asked me to put video up and I declined and the reasons were entirely technical. Um, The problem, so I won't go belabor the point too much, but in order to put your video on Spotify, you have to have the video and the audio match 100%, which means you cannot edit your show unless you edit the exact same way in video and in audio. Like, I can't cut out a cough in the video and leave it in the audio. Fine. Whatever. I'd probably cut the cough really, out. So how what,
0: would they know that, Jordan? Does because that the
1: happen? file is the same.
0: So when you upload it, you upload it at the same time? Is you upload the video
1: and the audio feed is just the audio from the video, apparently.
0: Oh. And oh.
1: And I could be wrong about that, but I asked them specifically because I was like, oh, well, what if it's not quite the same? Like, does it matter? Can you make an exception for me? And they're like, the problem is when you open it up, it's on a timestamp. And it has to pop into the video right where you stopped talking, um. so that they're. So, and I thought, oh shoot, that's not going to work. So, as AI and transcripts and all that other jazz get better, they'll be able to switch to the video file and they'll find where you're talking, and it'll it'll just know. But in the meantime, it's just going on a timeline. So, if you stop talking, in, in and then you pop up the video to watch it instead of just listening, it has to be that same thing. And the other thing is, you can only host the video if, if you also only host the audio on Spotify, or at least it used to be that way. So I had Mm -hmm. to, then they were like, so then, and I'm like, well, I'm on podcast one. They're like, Oh, what we'll do is we'll set up a second feed for you in Spotify. That's your Spotify only feed. And it'll take your ads from your podcast one feed, and then it'll do this, but then your video won't have the ads. And I'm like, what a, what is this is a mess and podcast one was like what's going to happen is you're going to end up with duplicate feeds everywhere that you don't control because of course that stuff's going to get indexed it's going to end up in google it's going to and people are not going to be and you're not going to be able to get rid of it and you have to have a separate editing workflow for the video that goes in spotify that's not the same as the video that goes into youtube and i'm like ugh, no thank you
0: yeah yeah it's it's all a mess, you know, and it's getting more complicated to mm-hmm. figure out what the right distribution strategy is for your show because you're seeing all these platforms kind of give different options that are kind of difficult for people to to manage. And that's that's why I want to raise the the topic, is because mm-hmm. we're being given all of these distribution opportunities now. Back when we started podcasting in the early days, things were a little simpler yeah. than they are now. But that's it, true. there's just so many different ways of doing it now and especially now that you can add RSS to, to YouTube and and it's just you know I see that the, that we got a comment from Mohammed here it says now uh, nowadays social media are very strict and the platform owners uh, putting restrictions for very small issues what they don't like basically um, and, which is very disappointing I mean it's it it does feel like that they're putting the thumb on the scale um, Mm -hmm. of, of content. And, and, and I, I believe they're getting pressure from advertisers. Uh, I think it's where this, you know, just like we heard over the last couple of days, Elon Musk talking about, you know, advertisers Mm -hmm. on, on, on Twitter, um, blackmailing him. Um, So you can see the influence of advertisers um, on content. um, Yeah. and and how that's playing out
1: i understand that although i do also think that advertise look advertisers they want to make money they're willing to overlook a lot of stuff what right but then like if you're letting anti-semitism run rampant on your platform and and the ceo and board of disney are all jews what do you expect to happen (laughs) right like at some point they're gonna go you know what we can make money by not advertising on twitter yeah. And and I don't think they were like, you change it or we're gonna remove our money and then your business is gonna go under. They were like, hey, we're just not gonna buy this if you put if you let people yeah. who post Nazi stuff on here go unchecked. That's not yeah. that unreasonable. It would be different if they were like, You need to promote Hillary Clinton for president or we're gonna pull all of our money. Then it's like, well, wait, 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 That mm-hmm. does that's very odd. You yeah. know, this is a li- it's a little different. Now I, I so i i'm kind of okay with companies using market power to do certain things and again it's only one company so like if if your advertising business is heavily dependent on one company that's also a problem but it's not the company's problem it's your problem so mm-hmm. i if i have an advertiser that's like we don't like jordan because i don't know whatever he's american then don't buy the show i have plenty of other people who d- will But if people are like, oh, we don't like Jordan because he's racist or something, then then I got a problem. And it's probably because I'm not a good person. And maybe (laughs) brands don't want to be associated with me for that reason. So it's, I don't see this as like a real danger where like quality content creators are being boycotted by advertisers per se. Um, Some brands are afraid to advertise on controversial stuff, but there's tons of brands that will advertise on pretty much anything. And mm-hmm. I know this because yeah. Steve Bannon's war room has full sold out inventory on his podcast mm-hmm. yep. and Russell brand has plenty of people sending him tons of money. Like it's not, these guys are um, not hungry.
0: And those, those brands that are advertising are smart because I mean, all the research that I've seen over the years, I, I know Nielsen did a bunch of studies on advertising recall and, and ROI on, mm-hmm. on content and it, it really, it was very consistent in the ROI across all sorts of genres and, and topics. Um, sure, there's, it's really, I think, more about the, the brand than it is about the audiences. I'm not sure that the audiences are really as concerned about it as brands think they are. I think it's more just kind of like a self-perception It is of what the brands want to think of themselves as
1: (laughs) totally. Yeah. No, nobody's looking at a tweet from a neo-Nazi and being like Disney must have approved of this because they're advertising one of their movies next to it. It's like, no, nobody who's not completely clueless is putting that together. But yeah, Yeah. the brand is like, Ooh, it's not a good look when a screenshot showing Disney's frozen on ice is next to this guy. Who's like Jews rule the media. Like that's not good, right? That's a bad look for the brand so right. that's all that is and and that stuff happened man i've gotten in trouble for stupid stuff like that like I, I had a jewelry advertiser and they were like we want you to be funny and i'm like great and i made this joke and i was like this is years ago so it was stupid but I, it was like um again it was for jewelry and i was like want something shiny and sparkly this season to get in it was, it was something like that i was like try methamphetamine and then i was like <laughs> and if that's not your speed no pun intended try blue nile diamonds and they were like yeah, right. we're pulling the campaign, you idiot. And I was like, "Oh, too over the line." But you know what? They yeah. came back 3 months later and they were like, "We want to renew." And I said, "You do realize you pulled your campaign and didn't pay me?" And they were like, "Actually, that was our best performing ad of the whole campaign." <laughs> and I was oh like, "Well, God. you owe me $4,000 then." Yeah, that's so how like, you can pay mm-hmm. up. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, "Nah, we're just going to renew." Right. But you know, it was interesting. They were like, we want you to be funny. I was like, are you sure? And my, my salesperson was like, no, they don't mean it. They don't mean it. They don't mean it. Just, so I did regular ad reads and they were like, The performance isn't really what we were looking for. Can you just be the, can you do the funny thing again? Not too funny, but just kind of funny. And I was like, you don't really want my personality in there because that's (laughs) the thing that you guys don't like. But what converted was me doing whatever I wanted. So you got to make up your mind, but I'm not going to gamble with my money betting that you guys figure out what you want. I'm just going to take your money and you can tell me later if it did well. And and so that's brands shooting themselves in the foot.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's well, it's you being you is always going to drive drive a stronger ROI. Yeah. Than it is some some you know muted down kind of milk toast kind of ad read. Yeah. So yeah. You know, it's it's always going to connect with people because they're going to pay attention. But Sonia has a very interesting observation. It kind of triggered me, not necessarily entirely about her question as it relates to to you know, video and audio, it's more to do with, um, I've been hearing other people talk about this concept too, is that one of the reasons to upload your RSS feed to like a YouTube type of a platform is for archive reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. because, um, many of the podcast hosting platforms, once you stop paying them, um, your feed drops out, right. And you lose access to all those audio files, uh, publicly available online. So one of the advantages I thought it's not so much about any kind of a revenue opportunity, but just kind of like, you know, put your RSS feed in YouTube and just get your content in there. Cause it's an archive. Um, that will live beyond you <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah. laughs> and your ability to pay your hosting platform. True.
1: Yeah, I, that's a good point. I don't know what'll happen. To, I don't put every episode on YouTube because I have some that are advice episodes or just science yeah. stuff that I do to my producer. That stuff's not on YouTube. I guess at some point I'll just have to upload it and be like, there's no video with this, but here's the full archive. You know, before I retire and croak, I'll put it up on yeah. whatever the version of YouTube is and I'll be like, here's every episode of the show. You know, yeah. Yeah. And by then they'll have an AI that animates the people talking. Instantly, and it looks real, and nobody will know that it wasn't a video. That, I mean, right. we're talking about fifty years from now, right? So, or whatever. Yeah.
0: Well, and and w- once it's been uploaded to, to to YouTube, it's it's there. You can go in later and delete episodes if you want. uh It's just it's just it's an archive that will mm-hmm. live beyond your your years, probably. I guess I'm it,
1: less worried about what happens after I die from my show. It's like no one's going to care, and that's fine. <laughs> well, you <laughs> never know. Grand, you know, I mean, if you get
0: care. you know if you get you know, very, very well known around the world that people, you know, it's like, would would people listen to old episodes of Larry King? I mean, I got a chance to meet Larry in Los Angeles when I was working at Podcast One. And, and uh, you know, he did a lot of interesting content and a lot of what he has done probably doesn't exist anywhere, right?
1: Yeah, I, I've, I tried to find a lot of it before he passed and he, he told me, he was like, oh, why you're going to have to call CBS radio. And I'm like, does that even exist anymore? Or it wasn't even CBS radio. It was like, Oh, I think it was or something. I was like, what? they don't exist anymore. This is like 1955. Right. They made record players and went out of business in the seventies or something, right. Or eighties. I don't know. So he was like, yeah, I don't know. So most of his interviews are, yeah, you're right. They're gone. They're on magnetic tape in a basement somewhere of a building that hasn't been opened in 30 years on a lot from some, you know, studio, that's it. Well, if they're even there.
0: Yeah. If I think back to my old radio show, I did starting back in 1999, (laughs) you can go back and find, um, quite a few of my episodes in the Wayback machine, which is the internet archive, Mm -hmm. um, that's out there too. So, you know, archiving is an interesting concept. It's not so much around monetization or anything like that. It's more to do with, you know, your legacy. Mm -hmm. Um, because people have to think about, you know, when they pass, what happens to all that content that, you, that, that they created? Does it yeah. live on or or That's not? True. And do people care or not? Is a completely different question. But <laughs> but yeah, so we've got uh, uh, it says uh, how how YouTube runs ads on uh, to monetize channels that are not monetized. Uh, oh oh, I see what you're saying. How. YouTube runs ads on channels that are, haven't been turned on mm-hmm. for revenue share with the content creator. Yeah. I, I had a channel like that for, for a while too. Um, mm. That was around for like 16 years. It was getting tens of thousands of, download, of views and it wasn't monetized. So oh, interesting. So is it, it because you
1: didn't turn on monetization? Why did that happen?
0: Um, I reached a certain level of views, um, Mm -hmm. that, that qualified, I I guess is what, what it was. I mean, it wasn't, and then I I was paying attention here over the last year or so actually. I,
1: I do notice that I had my recent video got demonetized with the Hamas guy, former Hamas guy, Uh, and people were like, oh, but there's ads running on it and it's, I don't know exactly how that was. So I'm like, so YouTube makes money. They just don't give any of it to me. So that's a little bit like if anybody did that to me with my podcast, I would be like, Oh, uh, here's my lawyer. You're going to want to talk to them and you're going to want to give me $60,000 in damages. Yeah. <laughs> like I would never for it. in fact, this is a whole can of worms. We don't have time for right now, but have you heard of this app? from company audio that's going to use AI to strip ads from podcasts and then let people play them ad free. I'm like warming up my lawsuit already for this
0: company. Well, and they're, they're wanting to charge, uh, users of the platform, uh, five ninety nine 99 a month to right. get ad, ad free content.
1: Right. So they're going to, you're going to give my content away for free to people right. with, with no ads in it and I get $0. I will see you in court.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's, so. it's, it's a weird world that we're in, and this stuff always happens. It seems like whenever there's like an economic decline, is you get more and more companies that are desperate, <laughs> to, yeah, to to create a business opportunity for themselves to generate revenue, and people start doing wacko, crazy things.
1: It's it's just I don't even think this app is going to start doing that because what's going to happen is Amazon and Spotify. You think they're going to let people give their ad free content away? Holy moly, yeah. are you wrong? Podcast One has already said remove all of our shows from your app immediately. Here's our attorney's contact information if you have questions. And there, I know other networks that I won't speak for are already like, oh yeah, the board knows about this and we're crafting a letter right away to see if any of our shows are in here. And so it's just like, really? I I know they're a public company that created this app, but a public company is going to be more more vulnerable to a class action lawsuit or a lawsuit from five different companies, including Amazon and Spotify. Right. Right. I don't care what public company you are. Apple doesn't want to get sued by Spotify and Amazon at the same time either. Yeah. So there's some company that made an app. They're going to rethink this as soon as they get their first legal brief from a $3,000 an hour law firm right. saying that this is a bad idea. Yeah.
0: So um, here in a couple of minutes, I'm, I'm going to do the, the StreamYard uh, giveaway. Um, So over the course of the show, we've been gathering entries uh, and I will pull it up on the screen here in a, in a minute. But what I wanted to ask you, Jordan, really quick is if you could give our, our viewers or listeners here um, some ideas on, um, you know, some things that each of them can think about to, to grow their show. I know that that was the main topic Mm -hmm. of our show today. And and to really think about what they can do tomorrow, um, I'll be happy to share some things, too. But uh, if you can think of anything, I know that there's there's been a decline of content creators out there over the last few months. So really? the competition out mm-hmm. there is not as fierce as it was even a year ago. I don't know if you've seen the numbers. Though. I have not. Why would that happen? Uh, well, there's fewer uh, shows out there that are publishing new episodes. Hmm. Uh, so we've seen a fall off or a pod fade of sorts. Is this has, just
1: because the pandemic people finally gave up and went back to their job or what? Is I it? think, well, I think that has a lot to do
0: with it. And it's also, I think that, that, that there's a feeling that it's difficult to build a show now. Well, yeah. Um, and, and if there's any ideas that that you have that you could share um, with the, with the audience on what they can do with their show, I know we talked about content, and that's very important in connection with their audience and providing an engaging piece of content. But in collaboration is certainly one of them. Uh, is there any other pieces of that is it getting out in the real world? Is it what other kind of promotional techniques can you think of other than buying ads on other podcasts?
1: Yeah, I I think swaps are are huge. Swap, Swap an ad so, on your show, yeah, But like
0: feed swaps.
1: Yeah, uh, well, I would say for, do, yes. doing something like I run an ad for this show and you run an ad for my show and there's a company that's starting soon called swap.fm that I've right. invested in. They're they're come their public beta starts soon I think. And it's it basically tracks so I would say, oh, I'll give you 100,000 impressions in the Jordan Harbinger Show, and you give me 100,000 impressions in Rob Greenlee and Friends, and then it tracks, you use a prefix with your hosting company, and it tracks, yeah. Jordan ran this 100,000 times, you ran this 100,000 times, he sent you a 1,000 listeners, you sent him 2,500 listeners, wow, that was great, do you want to do it again? It, right now, you have to manually do all this stuff, like you have to right. ask for the trade, and then you have to count it, and then you have to ask for screenshots, and do they report it, and da 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 Right. This is gonna automate it. So swap.fm, bookmark that and check it every couple of weeks and see if it's up. That's gonna be huge. Otherwise, do it manually. Um, you know, right. ask some of your friends who have podcasts if you can endorse each other's shows. That sends sends listeners. I do that every single week and I have for years and years and years. And it's
0: oh you have wow
1: a strategy okay. that I will always do. I've well, bought ads, I've definitely bought ads, <clears throat> and buying ads is easier than swaps, but it's expensive. Swaps are free. Um yeah. so I highly recommend that. Of course, going on, guesting on other people's shows is great if you have a relevant thing. Um, it's got to be relevant. It's got to be entertaining and good, but you know, you can find other shows that will do that. Other podcasters interviewing podcasters is kind of a cliche, but like, if you can deliver value, then do it. If you can't, yeah. just do a swap. Just do the the ad read swap. That's really it, man. And your listeners are going to share the show. Encourage them to do that. You can just say, instead of saying, hey, rate us in, in, in uh, Apple, no one cares about that. Sure, leave a review fine, whatever. Yeah, right. But better is, hey do you know somebody who's interested in this topic share the episode with them i ask people to do that every episode i'm like hey do you know somebody who's interested in china share this episode with them and people go oh yeah that's right i got to share this with the guy that i know who likes china stuff and it just sparks people to do that if you let people know how important it is to spread by word of mouth people always will but having really good content is what really will get people to share
0: well and that's the key right is is trying to inspire your audience to tell their friends or tell their relatives or yeah. or share share uh, the the program and do you a- actively ask your audience to to do such things or do you yeah. i mean what kind of calls to action do you um ask your audience
1: yeah uh that's a good one i do have to pick my kids up soon so this is a good a good one to leave off on before you get away the duck um but i yeah i ask the the audience to share the show with somebody who likes whatever topic um i also ask the audience to sign up for things like mailing you know our, our course or whatever we've got a course on networking it's free it's not something they have to buy and that generates a mailing list and i do a newsletter that's completely different than the podcast that's mm-hmm. about stuff from the podcast but it's not the current stuff it's like older stuff that i go back and dig out and do another pass on and so people who don't even listen to the podcast will read the newsletter and be like this is really good. Yeah. I went back and listened to that episode from 5 years ago. That's really cool. I've, and other people will say, "Oh, my grandma forwarded this to me." Or my aunt forwarded this to me. I have no idea who you are, but this is really interesting. That's so it's like a separate f- vector for right. for fans. And and so asking people to share the newsletter with somebody that might be interested has been helpful as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean I, I think th- those are all r- r- are really good tips to Share and i I do think that trying to inspire your audience to share with others is really key mm-hmm. um to to long term If you look at the surveys and the studies um they they always show um, um, recommendations as the number one um, growth metric for for a podcast That's and great. here here over the last couple of years, the number two one has been. Mm-hmm discovery of podcasts on YouTube. So it's, it's what one of those things Mm -hmm. that is, it's a little bit of an anomaly, but uh, it looks like we've got 30 entries into the drawing. And so I've got this little tool up that I popped up that I'm just going to click this draw button and it will pick from all of the entries that we got during the show tonight. And, um, and I will give you instructions about what to do if you come up as the winner. So here we go. The drum roll. <laughs> Here it comes. Here it comes. The winner. Oh, Grateful uh, Hearts Ranch. Yeah, yeah there's the winner of uh, of Puddles the Duck <laughs> and a a Streamyard mug. So thank you so much. I mean, it's Puddles cool. ac- actually has feet too. Oh, so you can that's just that's good. Kind of sit Puddles on your desk behind your show and help us uh, with StreamYard. So <laughs> yeah, I
1: was going to say, or give it to your cat and never right. see <laughs> the duck yeah, again. It
0: will probably last five minutes. Yeah. So yeah. All right. So grateful hearts, rants, uh, please send me uh, an email and I will show you my email address here. Um, and if I can find it on the list here and, and if you can send me an email address with uh, your mailing address and um and any thoughts that you have about the show if you i would love to to hear your thoughts about the show uh today and and whether or not you thought this episode was helpful to you and and i definitely appreciate jordan being here to to add another dimension to this show he's got so much insight into the podcasting space but please send me an email and i will let the Streamyard team know that you are the uh the Grateful Hearts uh, Ranch winner um, of the uh, of the prize tonight. So thank you so much. And uh, Jordan, uh, what, what? Why don't you share with uh, us, kind of, um, you know, how people can find you? I know that there is a website out there that I have up for you yep. too. JordanHarbinger.com.
1: Yeah, look, this is a podcast audience. Find me anywhere you find your podcasts. Okay. Jordan Harbinger show, Spotify, Apple or uh, YouTube. But again, YouTube only has like one third of our episodes. But I think a lot of people are our video primary. So we are there
0: so how do you decide which episodes go up on youtube and if which one you only don't?
1: the interviews go up on youtube oh and so the friday advice segments which are our most popular episodes don't the skeptical sunday where we debunk something that has to do with like junk science or myths that doesn't go up there because just me and my producer sitting in a room talking so got we it. don't film it because they're usually like on a comedy tour somewhere in another place and they're in a closet recording. So it's, you know, we don't have the production going for that. And and I think the interviews do, I also, you know, to with the YouTube algorithm, they, they only really pick up on guests, right? It's like, oh, this guy was part of Hamas, millions of views. Oh, this guy is a scientist that has to do with geoengineering, 5,000 views. So it's really, you're not going to get a lot of views for me and my producer sitting in a closet discussing advice. So we just stopped even bothering to do it it's killing Uh, the channel
0: got it got it well thank you i think we're gonna uh, wrap up the stream and uh thank you all for for spending time with us tonight uh it was a very fast-moving conversation and um and hope you got something out of it and so i'll be back uh next thursday at 7 p.m eastern uh 4 p.m pacific uh with a with another terrific guest to share some insights and uh podcasting and doing, doing, doing video as well. So thank you for, for joining me tonight. Uh, it was great to have you here and, um, we will see you next time. Thank you. Thanks.